Hey, this is Brad Jensen, and you're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. And folks, it is my genuine pleasure today to be hosting Mr. Kevin Kane, Canadian singer-songwriter and founding member of the Grapes of Wrath. Kev, I've been uh, a fan of yours since Treehouse came out in 1987. All right. It contained a tune called Backward Town, which uh, I'm from a small town myself, and I really identified. That that song really resonated with me. And, uh, you know, it's it's a pleasure for me to be able to thank you for writing that in person today. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. (laughs) I mean, I read your... uh uh, I read No Sleep Till Sudbury, and so, you know, even though you're talking about different kinds of music, uh, I can certainly relate to the excitement of when a rock band comes to your town, like yeah. in 1982 when Split Ends played Kelowna, you yeah. know. So, yeah, I, I definitely got it. We're on the same page, Yeah, for sure. exactly. Yeah, well, thanks for reading the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of that, uh, my second favorite Grapes tune, All the Things I Was and I Talk About in All My Favorite People Are Broken, which you have mm. a copy of. At the beginning of chapter twelve. Okay. So, well, now I know where to find it. To that. <laughs> <laughs> I lo- that's a beautiful song, right? It, it uh, that was on now and again, uh, nineteen eighty nine. I want to say, and yeah. I listened to that over and over again. Um, you know, it was like a, a soundtrack to my university career. So, yeah, really great tune. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So you're a busy man, and uh, we were talking off air about uh, your partnership which turned into something else now with, with Brian Potvin. Yeah, we uh, a few years ago, we ran into each other here in Toronto at a guitar store and just started chatting mm-hmm. and realized we were neighbors. So we started hanging out and playing guitars together, thinking we'd do some shows together. And rather than that being, you know, like a double bill, it quickly turned into its own thing because yeah. we, we just ended up playing on each other's songs and, well, let me try harmony. So, yeah, that that's where the Kane and Potvin thing kind of came out and... Uh, We've done a couple of albums, a live record and a studio record. And uh, yeah, then as I was just telling you, uh, I'm now playing in Northern Pikes. That's um, fantastic. Merle has officially retired. He hasn't played with the band, I think, about 10 years. So they've been going as a three-piece. But uh, yeah. they wanted to go back to four-piece uh, last year for a Big Blue Sky 30th anniversary tour. And it was great. It was a lot of fun. So we're, we're actually working on a new album. That's terrific. Yeah. When do you think it'll be coming out? Not till uh, 2019, because they've got some other plans yeah. coming down the pipe. Like, uh, there's a live record. Uh, I don't know what all. <laughs> you know, I'm, <laughs> I guess they, they let me know on a need-to-know basis. Yeah. But yeah, there, there's a number of Pikes things coming up in the next uh, few years. Yeah. Very cool. And in addition to that, you're still doing some stuff with the uh, the Hooper Boys. That's right. Grapes Wrath. Wrath. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, we've got, uh, we've got a few offers for later in the year that we're... Uh, you know, sort of juggling and looking at how we're gonna how we're gonna do this. Do we have any Toronto shows? Do you think in the in the cards at all? We've been offered a Toronto show. Yeah, it's just a matter of, of making it all kind of line up. That's great. So, yeah, we definitely. we're offered a, actually a little run of shows uh, out east. So we're looking at uh, probably the beginning of the fall to yeah. do those. Nice. Do you get out west much? A fair bit. I mean, it yeah. depends. Uh, I was there a few days ago. Yeah. Sitting around the uh, airport in Vancouver. Okay. on my way uh, to and from Whitehorse. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you get back to Kelowna at all? Uh, I got back there a few times last year, and uh, I've already got a couple of shows booked, uh, one in August, one in October. So yeah, I'll be getting out there. Awesome. Well, I look forward to uh, a Toronto gig. If yes, does, uh, me too. Materialize. I always like to get to sleep in my own bed. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Okay, so shall we get to the songs that make your skin vibrate? Sure. Or? All right, so the first one on your list here is uh, a song called 
uh, Natalie's Party by Shaq. Right. Are they a Canadian band? No, they're. Uh, I think they're from Liverpool. I don't um, know a lot about them. The the main guy in the band used to have a band called uh, what they called Pale Fountains. I think okay. I, I could be wrong. Anyway, um, and and now he's he's doing a solo thing. But uh, I had read about about the album. It was called HMS Fable, mm-hmm. I believe, and it's a concept album about uh, about a person's descent into drug addiction okay. and. And he described the first song as as being when the drugs are fun and everything's great and everything. And mm-hmm. essentially, I guess the party, or I guess the song's just about partying when it's fun and when it's good. And I don't know. There, to me, there's something about the sound of it. Whether it, you know, it's the contrast between the scrappy electric guitar and the uh, and the string arrangement that swells up in the chorus. Um, uh, there's something really great about his vocal too. He's got you know a little bit of a hoarse voice, and it sounds like he's struggling for the notes, and he always gets them. But you know at the same at the same time, you hear the reach in his voice. Yeah. Um, and, and this one's kind of a mystery to me. I don't know why. Whenever I hear this song, you know, it comes to the chorus, I f- I feel something in my chest. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there, there's a certain abandon I, I feel like with 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 the song. It, it never, you know, it never goes off the rails or you know jumps the tracks, but um, it feels like it's going to. Uh, not not even it's just emotionally it's there okay. emotionally the feelings there but it, I mean it the song never sounds like you know um, like a shopping cart racing down a hill or anything like that mm-hmm. like it's it's gonna wipe out yeah. but um, you know just just like I said the scrappiness of the of the electric guitar against the strings you know yeah things like that yeah I I had not heard the song before mm-hmm. I'm gonna definitely check it out uh, your second song is by Talk Talk and it's called Desire this is a fantastic yeah. band right yeah, less yeah. what you make it. Love yeah. That song. Yeah. Uh well this song uh has my favorite guitar solo mm. ever. You know, it just stops me in my tracks every time. Okay. Uh and it it's it's really, you know, it's simple and it's it's more about it's more about the feedback and you know, he, I think it's Mark Hollis playing the solo and he just plays a repeating figure down 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 plays with the Bigsby while you know the, the guitar is feeding back and he just keeps repeating the same phrase yeah and I don't know <laughs> it's just fantastic from the first time from the first time I heard uh, uh, the album it's Beard of Eden yes um, I was just floored yeah. you know from the first time and uh, yeah I, I don't know a lot of people have that same feeling about this album yeah yeah no I love it too like I said uh, life's what you make it well, that was the one before that. That was on oh, was Color it? of Spring. And the story with that album was that the band had recorded the album and EMI rejected it. They said, look, you guys need a single. So they wrote Life's What You Make It. Really? And they just went, okay, great. And they, it sold several million. So then when it came time to do the follow-up record, EMI kind of went, well, we sort of left them to their own devices before and it worked out okay. So then um, Spirit of Eden took them something like a year to make in the studio and you know when you read about uh about the recording of it they did things like they blocked out all the windows so that it it became a timeless space and they they recorded scads and scads of overdubs for for the songs and they wouldn't let people who were coming in to track things hear what was what was being done oh really so you know they'd say okay play an overdub and you know, I, I think what is it, Danny Thompson, the upright bass player? He got one 
one little bass lick in yeah. one song after doing several tracks. And <laughs> this was part of the problem with them. Is they, they just kept adding more and more and more and more and more tracks mm. and, um, and then sifting through it all later on. Yeah. I don't know a few people have, have copied this technique of, you know, let's just get people to overdub and overdub and overdub and then put the overdubs up and see which ones gel and which ones don't gel. Mm. You know? So it becomes sort of a, I guess, an exercise in randomness. Yeah, it's almost like Chinese democracy in a way. That, you know, it's just a bunch of, like, Moby came in and added his bit and all these, you know, unique and random characters kind of came in. and. Well, yeah, and there was a lot of that going on, apparently, with this album. Uh, the best story is they, they hired, uh, who was it, um, Steve Winwood to play some Hammond oh, on it. Wow. And they, uh, because they, they really want to know how he got the, the organ sound on, I think it was on I'm a Man or something like that. Yeah. So they, they asked him at one point, you know, how did you get that organ sound? And he just takes his arm and puts them across the draw bars and goes, and pulls them all out. So it's like, oh, <laughs> there's the secret. <laughs> Everything. Yeah. That's funny. What was that other big talk talk tune? The name escapes me. Not life. What you, not life's what you make it, but it was. Um, it's my life. It's my life. Yeah. Which, uh, uh, what are they called? No doubt covered. Yes. And uh, that's right. Yeah. So that was a massive tune. Yeah. What album was that on? It's on one of the earlier ones. Yeah. And um, and Mark Hollis apparently has a degree in child psychology, so mm-hmm. or or developmental psychology, something to that effect. So I'm sure that informs a lot of his lyric writing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, your next tune is by the Go-Betweens, and it's called Cattle and Cane. Right, yeah. Australian band. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, there's... I, I, I know lyrically um, with that one, it, it's because it's about childhood, you mm-hmm. know? And I, I've written a few songs, you know, about, about my own childhood and about... Uh, like, when you're a kid, you know, what is significant? And you look back on it, and it's like both, you know, things are both insignificant and incredibly significant, and... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that like that song for a number of reasons. It, it's got a funny time signature. I'm not exactly sure what the time signature even is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, it, just some of the lines. Like um, <laughs> my favorite line in it is his father's watch. He left it in the showers. Yeah. You know, he lost his dad's watch. That you know, and then I, I just I just picture the whole background story where he was sent away to a boarding school. His father gave him his watch, you know, so that as a connecting point between him and his son, and he lost it. And, you know, the, the disappointment he must have felt and, yes. and the, the fear and all of that. And so, you know, j- just how, how somebody can drop a few words like that and it just, you know, conjures up so much. Yes, yeah. As you were saying that, I just thought about the guilt, you know, the, the yeah. things that you do when you're a kid. I was walking home and I lost 75 cents. I lost three quarters. Yeah. And I felt so bad. I didn't want to tell my mom. I actually went back and spent like five hours looking for these three quarters. Yeah. Fact that, but it's the same thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and especially something like a watch, especially a long time ago, mm. you know, they were very significant. They were, you know, little machines that men can wear on their wrists. And mm-hmm. like I, I finally sort of figured out that's my obsession with watches. They're little wearable machines because men like machines, I guess. We like gadgets. True. Um, but back then it meant so much more because, you know, they were handmade. They, yeah, they weren't something that you could buy, you know, at the drugstore for 10 bucks. Yeah, they were actual heirlooms as well. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So. Uh, I love your next tune, Sloan, The Good in Everyone. Mm-hmm. Great. So I love Sloan. Are you friendly with Sloan? Well, yeah, we've done a couple of shows with them, and I, you know, I know them when I run into them and stuff like that. Yeah, um, 
the good in everyone. Yeah, I was, I mean, Sloan have a lot of great songs, but that one I was obsessed with, partly because of how short it is. Yes. I think I think once you get past the uh, the intro stuff and whatever, the meat of the song is under 140, or under 140. Is it really? Yeah, it's crazy short. Oh, wow, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, it's uh, it's really short and it's kind of perfect. I uh, I really love short songs. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, Guided by Voices had so many great short oh, songs. Yeah. I've got a, a band with my wife and, and all our songs, almost all our songs are two minutes or less. It's just, yeah. was you it, know, we all, just like to trim the fat. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I like that too. All the things I wasn't, I mm. think, is two minutes long, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it actually reminds me that I made, when I heard that song the first time, I made the comparison to Needle and the Damage Done, mm. which is also exactly two minutes long. Hmm. Well, the the less instruments you've got, you know, the less stuff there is to fill with sonically. So, you know, things tend to be more concise. Yeah. But I, I, I think I often look at a song like, you know, okay, could that go two times instead of four times? You know, yes. like I'm, I'm always I'm always trying to uh, always trying to trim things off. And, uh, you know, there, there, there's there's such a great zen about that that particular slow song. A yeah. Sloan song because, um, like the guitar solo is uh, what four notes, <laughs> you know, just just held with, with attitude and, uh, yeah, yeah, it's just fantastic. Yeah, uh, losing California mm-hmm. is uh, probably my favorite song of theirs. It just it's got one of the catchiest choruses I think in the history of you know, right. recorded music. It's fantastic. Yeah, from the first time that came out, I thought it was like a cheap trick song. It just yeah, you know right it it. it conjured up the same kind of feelings yeah. that uh, Surrender did for me. I thought it was great. Great harmonies. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. love that band. Uh, your next tune is a classic, Queen and David Bowie, Under Pressure. Yeah. yeah. Great song. Well, you know, when, when I got the assignment <laughs> to come up with songs that, <laughs> you know, make, make my, my skin wiggle or whatever, uh, <laughs> a, a lot of the songs... I guess there were songs that kind of choke me up, mm-hmm. um, and "Under Pressure" has always been that way. Mm. Uh, it's it's so perfect, um, you know, so concise. And again, they what wrote and recorded it in one day, so yes. you know they they weren't worrying about a lot of things like the, the guitar sound. It, you know, it's not it's not layers and layers and layers of Brian May. It's it, it has the integrity of the one guitar part, yeah. and it's fantastic. And there's so many great lines in it. Yeah. And incredible vocal performances. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Yeah, great song. Your next tune I'm not super familiar with. I know who Roy Harper is, but I have not heard Commune. Okay. Uh, And it's kind of hard to find that version of it. We were actually looking last night and couldn't find the right version. Uh, Roy Harper was this English folky, uh, beloved by Led Zeppelin. Yeah, to Roy Harper. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And in fact, uh, Grapes did an album with John Leckie back in 1992 and uh john you know like we'd be in the studio whatever and uh, just be chatting with him and his two favorite artists or two of his favorite artists that he'd ever worked with in in terms of how enjoyable it was in the studio Mm -hmm. maybe i'll say three i'll add xtc because the dukes of stratosphere record he said he was you know he said he had a stomach ache for two weeks they were just laughing so hard the whole time (laughs) but uh he loved working with the fall Yep. And uh, so we were listening to Fall last night, and uh, he loved working with um, Roy Harper. Okay. And he said that uh, 
there was one Roy Harper record and Jimmy Page came in to play some guitar on it and uh and he said Jimmy Page was, you know, it was like right out of central casting. He came in with a girl under each arm and his Les Paul and a bottle of <laughs> wine and Mr. Confident and, you know, picks up the guitar, throws down an amazing thing, puts the guitar away, let's party again. And really? Uh, yeah, he said it was uh, it was in no way disappointing. <laughs> but uh, but th- this particular song, um, it, it, it it's just, a you know, it's a love song. But but again, he's got some really great lines and, and on that that one live album that I, I mentioned, I don't remember the title of it right now. Mm. Um, you know, it, it's his delivery. Everything about it to me is is just great. It's one of my favorite sort of acoustic singer songwritery. Oh, really? Uh, songs, yeah. Okay. Well, one of my favorite things about doing this show is being introduced to, to right. new music like that. So I would definitely be looking that up. Yeah, and you may well hear it and just go, "Really?" <laughs> you know, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he's 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 got some great he's got some great lyrics, and I mean the whole the whole live album is pretty good. But I, I guess I like him when he's a little more earnest. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll check that out. Uh, and your last tune, Kev, is by the Rolling Stones, and it's the lead-off track to one of my favorite albums of all time, "Exile on Main Street." Right, rocks off. Yeah, great track. I used to have an almost unhealthy obsession with that record. Really? I, oh, I listened to it so much. And, I, you know, I was at the point where I owned several copies from different countries in the world, different pressings, and, you know, and and, and several sets of postcards. And it's like, what am I doing? Because, you know, <laughs> rebuying this record just because I love it so much. So I, yeah. I kind of cooled off a bit on that. But yeah. um, that's one of those songs, Rocks Off, where every time, um, every time I hear it, it gets my heart rate up. Yes. And... You know, it's just that perfect combination of things. And again, you know, the lyrics, uh, which essentially are about uh, wet dreams, yeah. are, um, you know, again, it's 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 not your typical, uh, you know, rock and roll subject matter. Yeah. So, um, and, and, you know, I've always loved with that album and that song uh, how the lyrics are semi-buried, where every time it's kind of like you're, you know, you're wiping the dust off to, to see if you can get a better look. And, oh, nope, not that time. Yes. Yeah. I thought Mick Jagger was a master of that with lyrics. Well, on that particular record, yeah, uh, he he was never as mumbly before or since. Yeah, and and that was one of the reasons why he put the record down. Yeah, um, but I I wouldn't agree. <laughs> yeah, that's one of my great. favorite things about that record, though, is that like Sweet Virginia, for example. Mm. You know, I've talked about this on on the show a number of times, but the grit. And just the authenticity of the, you know, it sounds like it was recorded at four in the morning, everybody sitting in a circle as we are now. Yeah. And just, you know, his voice is cracking. But that is the, the, the beauty of that record. And that's the beauty of, of, of rock and roll as I see it. Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's real. Right. You know? Well, I've been trying to find uh, a little essay that Steve Wynn wrote many years ago. Mm-hmm. Um and, and it was the four the four components for a classic album, and and um, uh, now I'm trying to remember what they are. I wish I had this in front of me because he he goes through several albums and explains why they fit. Okay. But but one of the elements was there had to be a sense of humor about it, and not like not like a ha ha we're making jokes sort of thing, yeah. but it had to laugh at itself or something. It it had to have those unself conscious moments yeah. where where it laughs. Yeah. Uh, it had to be scary at some point okay um and like to me chuck berry records are super scary why is well, that i maybe it's because i know how demented he, he is <laughs> or was uh but like like to me i you know 
it, it, like when I'd hear Chuck Berry, I, I thought this guy's way scarier than, uh, you know, than somebody trying to be scary like Marilyn Manson or whatever. I, I actually... That is a great, great point. I, I think he's kind of a scary dude. You know, yeah. I always think he was. He definitely was. Yeah. Yeah. So a record should be scary. And what else should it be? It should be, uh, it should be sexy. Yeah. And again, sexy isn't, you know, I'm going to sex you up or whatever. It's, it's a feeling. So... Yes. And then what what was the last point? Oh, and at times it has to sound like it might fall apart. Yeah. So, you know, what, to summarize, what do we have? Sense of humor, <laughs> um, sexiness, uh, scariness, and it should sound at some point like it's going to fall apart. And then some of the examples he gives of albums like that are there's a ride going on. I think that is, you know, that's the perfect description of that album. And that's yeah. why that's one of my all-time favorite albums. Yeah. Um, uh, Exile on Main Street, another you know, another perfect example. There, there are moments where, like, it sounds like the bolts are a little bit too loose. I've said that. Never falls that apart though. It, it sounds at at various times during that record like it's just going to completely go off the rails. Right. But it doesn't, and that's the beauty of it. The second and third Big Star albums, uh, to me, yeah. have always been that way. Um, Velvet Underground, Loaded, you know. It, yeah. As as assured as it sounds, there are still a few moments where where it, there's a whoa, but you know it never it never falls apart. So, and I'm sure there's a lot of records that don't fit in with that that are still pretty great. But uh, it's funny I've tried so many times to find this online. I can't find it anywhere. It was in I saw it in a book probably twenty twenty five years ago. It's got to be on the internet somewhere. I have not found it. Like albums, thinking like what applies to that. I almost feel like I should just write to Steve Wynn and say, you know what, you. It would probably be easier to write to him and ask him. Yeah, Yeah, I know someone who knows him, so maybe I'll, uh, I'll write to him and say, hey, can you pass on a note and I'll see if I can get a copy of this again. Yeah, Diamond Dogs by Bowie. I'm thinking completely. That's pretty ragged as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a fun little game actually, just to go through and see. Yeah, and you have the checklist and. And, um, uh, well, speaking of Bowie, low, side one of low mm. fits. Side yeah. two, no. So that's why, you know. Yeah, well, that was that was a weird record, though. Yeah. That was like this little German kind of, you know, what was it? Lodger, low, and I think that was his, like, his... End Heroes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah all done at that studio facing the Berlin Wall. Yeah. Weird time for David Bowie. Mm-hmm. For sure. You've seen the fan. cartoon, I guess, right? With, oh, with... Uh, which one? Him and Oni, uh, him and Eno, <laughs> Oni, Bowie, Eno, and Visconti in the studio, and it's a. You just have to put David Bowie cartoon, and it'll come up, and it's no. fantastic. It's uh, it's a British comedian, and he does the three voices, and yeah. he does an incredible Bowie impersonation, and everything in the script is based on uh, stuff that really happened, like that. Uh, uh, Bowie and Eno used to do Derek and Clive impersonations yeah. all the time in the studio. Um, you know, or the what is it the you know, how, how much Tony Visconti actually had to do with the record and, and he doesn't really get acknowledged. It, anyway, I've seen the cartoon probably 50 times. Oh, really? I've written a song about it. It's, no it's, way. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm obsessed with it. So. That's hilarious. I, somebody sent me just like three days ago a little uh, Lego animation thing on David Bowie. It's called David and Angela's House. So it's the know. same guy who did it. Oh, okay. it. It's the same voice. Okay. He sounds yeah. just like David Bowie. Yeah. I, I know that. Well, this other one is even more so. Ah. It's incredible. Yeah. I have to check that out. Yeah. This one that I saw was hilarious. Yeah, it was about what David Bowie was going to do after Ziggy. Yeah, Cobbler Bob. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> yes. Oh, is that a really good idea? Yeah. 
It's great. So, and then he pulls Aladdin saying it at last. Yeah. So funny. <laughs> Some sort of goo. <laughs> Gelatinous goo coming out of my collarbone. <laughs> yeah, the same guy who wrote it, and then it was a different animator. But I, I love that one, too, because they're referencing the, the British uh, sitcom from the 70s, Good Neighbors. Oh, like the whole intro of it, every, the music, they use the theme song from Good Neighbors. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's yeah. familiar. That's funny. Yeah, Good Neighbors was about um, a guy, well, it was a couple, but but the, the husband decides to leave the rat race. So yeah. they decide to grow their own food and, you know, do the, the whole kind of back-to-nature lifestyles that they do it in their suburban English home. So yeah. uh, they still have neighbors who are normals, and, you know, right. there they are turning their whole yard into a farm and, and whatever. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, I, w- there are more of these Bowie um, bits then. I, or I only know of the two. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'm only aware of the two. Mm. Well, I'm going to look for the other one for sure. Oh, yeah. So as we were talking about records, I just thought of something. The um, video for all the things I wasn't is is incredible. We used to watch that at school, mm. and we couldn't... I mean, There's a, actually uh, somewhere in Ontario, and I, I, I should find the email about it and see whatever happened but there was an english course based on that on the lyrics for that song no yeah it's somewhere in the ontario school system because uh i had a teacher write to me this was 10 years ago really yeah and and she said she'd come up with a a a course outline or they wanted to use that song as a project and you know she explained all the different things and i was just like okay sure you know that's fine i don't mind yeah whatever you can get out of it go for it that's so awesome yeah the video goes around the house right. and is timed perfectly to end exactly when the song ends. Yeah. Really, whose idea was that? Uh, well, it was my idea. Yeah. I had seen a, um, actually I'd seen a Bangles video and uh-huh. they they were set up on a carousel that turned around. And then yeah. I thought, what if we did a carousel that was like four quadrants of a room? Mm-hmm. Because somebody had told me, you know, for a carousel to turn that slowly, you, you only need a motor as strong as like a, a, a windshield wiper motor or something, you know, right, right. no motor. I'm like, oh, okay, great, great. And um, and then, you know, so I, I drew a plan for it, yeah. uh, like a storyboard idea for it. And no then uh, we showed it to a, an art director who was going to help us in the video. And he said, why don't we just build the set stationary and then use um, dolly track around it? That'll yeah. be way easier than trying to build a set that you guys are riding on. That's got a. Oh yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. That that's that's a way better way to do it. So yeah. that that's how we did it. Was they they just uh, they they built, you know, uh, sort of an X, and each quarter was a different room. Yeah. So you got two walls of the room, and then it was a a track on the outside. And one of my least favorite parts about making videos was editing them, and okay. so that one was a. Total pleasure. Oh, God, we just picked yeah. the take that that we liked. I think we had five or six takes that worked, and went okay. That's the one. Oh really? Yeah, and oh. that, that was it. See, I would have thought it would have been the reverse. Well, I, had I not known that about the dolly tracks, but like I thought, like it's interesting because you end right at the the perfect time. You come right back to. They know. had time points. They had a, a, a like the person pushing the dolly, yeah. and and I think there were pieces of tape on the floor with time cues on it, so, so that cool. they had to you know get exactly at the time cues yeah so that was the challenging part yeah it was interesting with uh, this the, the northern pikes big blue sky tour um uh, they would have me do all the things i wasn't in the middle of the show and because the show had uh an audio visual component well a visual component obviously the audio was the music mm-hmm. uh so so they had video screens and whatnot and you know different things going on and for that song it was like what 
what can we do? What yeah. can we do for the song? So I said, well, why don't we have it come in on the second verse of the song? Uh, you know, where, where I think it shows Tom in a room, then it goes to Vince, then it goes to Chris, and then mm-hmm. when it comes back to me, then dissolve back to me. And other than one night where, you know, somebody blew the cue, it worked perfectly oh, nice. every night. It was interesting that we get to the bridge and I'd turn around and I'd look at Vince's hands on the piano and they would be in sync with where the piano would go. Except, of course, there's no piano because we didn't have piano. So Brian would be doing this kind of ambient, textural, 12-string guitar thing. But I turn around and, yep, we were in sync. That is so cool. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to see this. Hopefully you do that again. I'd love to see that. We'll see. (laughs) Who knows what's going to happen with those guys. Yeah. Yeah. That is so great. One more uh, quick bit on that. The records that were on the floor. Mm. I want to say there was a Zeppelin one in there. Yeah. Hotel California by the Eagles, is yeah. that right? Yeah. What was the other one? Well, we all got to pick a record okay. to have sitting there for Tom to flip through. So yeah. I picked Led Zeppelin four. Vince picked uh, Lee Michaels' fifth. Okay. Do you remember that guy? Uh, he was like a Hammond guy, and, and he played with a drummer. Okay. So that, that was their shows, this guy oh. just ripping on Hammond and a drummer. Really? Uh, Chris picked the basement tapes, uh, you know, Dylan and the band, yep. and Tom picked Hotel California. Very cool. And, you know, in, in a funny way, uh, that that did kind of define certain things about our sound, you mm-hmm. know. Um, I mean, we weren't that Zeppelin-y, but I, but I, definitely, I definitely liked a good riff. Uh, yeah. Vince, you know, as much as he loved Lee Michaels, there wasn't always a place for it, but where there was a place to squeeze in some Rip and Hammond, it was there. And, yeah. uh, you know, then obviously the band uh, were a big influence on us in terms of their, their interplay and, yeah. and, you know, how how nobody really took a starring role with the band. It was it was an ensemble, same as the vocals. That's true. You know? Yeah. And like we we always liked to go for more of an ensemble vocal sound instead of it being, you know, lead vocal and background way in the background. Yeah. Okay, well that is the end of your list. Okay. Thank you so much for coming in. It's been sure a pleasure thing. talking with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. All right, this has been No Sleep Till Subbury with Brent Jensen and my very special guest, Mr. Kevin Kane. Until next time, folks, take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Subbury. Leftover people and all my favorite people are broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon worldwide. <laughs>